Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5c.consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Welcome, everybody. This is Greg, your host of The Adaptive Executive, and I have a very special guest, uh, the founder and CEO, Tyler Robertson, founder and CEO of Diesel Laptops. Now, I had no idea there was such thing as a diesel laptop uh, until Tyler booked himself on the show and we had to do some research. So, Tyler, tell us about diesel laptops and what you're doing over there. Well, first of all, they're not diesel-powered laptops. We get that question once in a while. They're, they're normal laptops. But, you know, our company's in the B2B space. So people don't realize it, but diesel powers almost everything that moves around uh, on the planet, from a, from an ocean freighter to uh, trucks to um, construction equipment. So we're the people that develop the tools and that help fix those things. So these have become really highly complex machines. So we sell software, we make our own software, we do training classes for diesel techs, we make repair information. I got a call center staff with a bunch of retired techs that have decided it's better to sit in a call center than be on their back under, underneath the truck. And we help people all day fix things. So, I mean, the short version is seven years ago, I was in my garage by myself, just thought I'd do a thing and, and try to make a life for myself. And today we got a little north of 200 employees and we'll do around 65 to 70 million in revenue this year. And we did it without investor capital. So it's, it's been a crazy ride and uh, just glad to be on the show. That's fantastic. So in seven years, you've gone from your garage to 200 plus employees and 65 million with no funding. Yeah, we bootstrapped it. So people are like, how'd you do that? I'm like, well, I sold a thing. I took all the money and I bought two more things. And then I, I sold those things and I bought four more things. And, um, it, you know, it, it's really a tough thing to do. And you know, you talk about adaptability and change. I mean, you're managing cash flow, and there's not a lot of room for error to do things as you grow and scale. Um, mm -hmm. Especially as a founder CEO, you get all these crazy ideas in your head all the time. And I've made the mistake of doing too many at once or not enough at once. And you learn these lessons as you go. Um, but for people listening to this, you do not need to go raise millions of dollars to build a very big, fast growing company. You don't have to do it. Um, it's totally possible. And, you know, there's some negatives with it, but there's also some great positives that come out of it as well. Yeah. So let me ask you, so what brought you into this idea of diagnostic tools? Yes. Yeah, so I've worked in truck dealerships my whole life, but I always work for somebody else. And when you're in an industry and you're working, you tend to see problems and there's no solutions for them. And in my case, it was really obvious customers that work um, on other people's trucks. So like you're think of automobile aftermarket place, but heavy truck, they want to work on everything and they want to do as much as possible so they can have as much business as possible. And all these people that make trucks were saying, you can't have our software, only our dealers can. So we came along and started bundling some things up and started developing things that would allow people to work on their own equipment. So it kind of goes in this whole right to repair momentum that's going on in the industry. Uh -huh. And we were, we were at a great place at a great time. And I had the great experience up to that point. So kind of all these things kind of hit at once. And the market demanded and market asked for, we want tools that work on anything we want to touch. And we don't have to want to bring a vehicle to a dealer to work on it. We want to have our own options. And we stepped in and, and supplied that need. And that's really how it got started. 
Okay, so so you basically bundled diagnostic tools for the various makes that are out there, makes and models, and you put them onto a software, yeah. an app, a laptop, <laughs> and then you give them to aftermarket repair shops that want to do these this work. Yeah, and it started with, I didn't even have anything of my own. I just took other people's stuff because one person sold the hardware, another sold the software, and then the guy would have to go buy a computer from somewhere. And these are 50, 60-year-old shop owners. They didn't, they didn't know how to install Bluetooth drivers or connect Bluetooth and pair it and update firmware. They know how to fix trucks. So I just said, I'm going to take all three of these things, make a package, and sell it to customers and solve their problem because that's what they needed. They didn't have that expertise. But it just it morphed from there. It morphed from us making our own software, making repair information, having a call center with diesel techs to help people. It just kind of kept ballooning it. So people are always like, how do you come up with these ideas? We just listen to problems customers had. You don't have to listen hard. You just listen to their questions they ask when they call you or they email you or they chat with you. And through that, you're able to figure out, man, pe people have a need. And again, I had tremendous industry experience. So I always tell people, before I became this entrepreneur, I got paid for 10 years to do this. So it's kind of like getting a PhD in what we do at these laptops, but they paid me to do it. So it, it's, again, education, experience, you know, a little bit of risk kind of all combining at one point in time and it worked out really well so far to this point. All right. I love it. I love it. So, so you had this concept, you saw the problem, you started pulling things together. Uh, maybe, maybe if you have a story of maybe an early client, maybe, I don't know if maybe your first one or your first big deal where you're like, Oh my gosh, this is going to work. Yeah. Remember so that I mean moment? Yeah, well, I mean, I can tell you for a while there, I felt kind of like a drug dealer because I'm, I'm making these kits at home and I'm throwing in my trunk in my car and meeting people at truck stops and they're handing me cash. And I'm just like, this, this whole thing feels weird what I'm doing, right? But, <laughs> but that, that's, that's what it started with. And, you know, I'm slinging things on eBay and, and, and doing all those things. But yeah, I can, I can tell you one. Uh, we, were, we were out of my garage and I, this time I hired a, like a salesperson and I had an employee or two. You know, obviously the wife and I got a one-year-old and a three-year-old at home. So it's just like chaos at the house all the time. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden we get this big deal from a power company. Um, and this power company happens on nuclear power plants. So, and they really want to buy these tools from us. I'm like, Hey, I want to come visit you guys. And I'm like, okay, we, I got to figure this out. I can't, I can't let, can't, what am I going to do? Invite them into my kitchen and, and explain them how I'm going to sell them a quarter million dollars and stuff. Like I can't do that. So, you know, we immediately was like, well, let's go find a place we can buy or rent and actually open up a business. And, you know, by that time, my wife was kind of sick of people at the house all the time. So it was, you know, good timing in, in that sense. But sometimes those things are on you and you just, just got to adapt and change and, and pivot with it and move quick and, and try to figure out how you're going to get through things. So yeah, that was, those are, that's kind of a story that I still remember pretty clearly. And then I was like, man, they want to PO for 90 days. Like, how am I going to cash flow $300,000 or half a million dollars for 90 days? I don't have that cash. Like, how, how am I going to make this happen? And that's, that's one of the negatives of bootstrap is you don't have a bunch of cash sitting around doing nothing for you. You're using every penny as you go. Right. Right. So there's two things there. I want to, I want to click on a little deeper. Um, the, what's the mindset or what maybe some of the lessons you learned or the tools that you brought to the table so that you could constantly make the changes that were necessary and maybe you see a thread line looking backwards now. Maybe you had a mindset then. I'm, I'm really curious. I think our listeners would be really curious to understand how you navigated that and, and allowed yourself to pivot when you needed to. Yeah. So, I mean, part of that goes to why are you doing the thing you do, right? And I think a lot of people that are entrepreneurs don't know the answer to that question. 
um, or it's like, I want to get rich or I want to do this. And for me, I can clearly look back now and say, well, the reason I first did it was I wanted to provide for my family. I want to make sure they had a roof over their head. Can I, can I make this a sustainable business? I was the only one working. My wife didn't. I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old. Like that was my why. Like I want to provide for my family. Um, and then it quickly turned into, man, can I, you know, I think I can make this into an actual sustainable business. Um, and hire employees and do those things. So my why kind of changed there. And you start thinking about it. Now it's not putting a roof over your head. It's making a business. And all of a sudden you're gonna make different decisions and think about things a lot differently if that's why you're doing something. And then it became, can I grow the business? And that's an important one too, because if it wasn't, I want to grow the business, it was, I want to make money. I wouldn't have invested in a lot of things and done a lot of things. I would have done things differently. And I can tell people we've checked those boxes and today our why is different. Today our why is we want to go change an industry. We want to go change the way truck repair is done. And we think we can vastly improve this big, huge market. And the market's huge. It's There's $70 billion a year sold in truck parts and labor in the United States. And it's done horribly. It's done the same way it's been done for 50 years, 70 years, 100 years. And we think we have the chance to change it. So when you look through that lens of why we're doing this thing, you can all of a sudden start to say, okay, if that's really what I want to do, I'm going to make these decisions and go this direction, not I'm just going to cash in as much as I can and make as much money as I can in the shortest amount of time, or I'm going to go build this thing to sell it. Those decisions you make and where you want to be at the end impacts what you're doing today. And it took me a long time to realize that because I didn't know what I wanted to do there for a while. And I wasn't making decisions to lead me down that right path of, of where I really needed to get to. So it's a tough thing that to wrap your mind around, but you have to figure out why you're doing this and what your end game is. And unless you know those two things, you cannot make the right decisions in over the course of the years or, or decades it takes you to get there. Yes. Purpose and destination. Yeah. What, 100%. I really like, yeah. You know, I, I really like how you put that though. Um, so many times working with, you know, a senior executive, whether they're the founder or, you know, on a team, uh, they're there and, you know, they're, they're not necessarily very clear, right? And and a couple things, there's clarity of purpose. There's also uh, values, right? You know, how you choose to operate, what you value. And, you know, we talk about values. I don't know how much you guys talk about values in your, your organization. Love to hear that in a moment. But we kind of define them as the thing you're willing to leave money on the table for. If you're not willing to leave money on the table, then are they really a value? Yeah. You're not going to pay for them. So their value is when you pay for them. And that means leaving money on the table because you believe in something bigger. And so I care, I'm, I am curious, like how have you guys embraced or, or do you have any specific key values that you think have supported your growth and your ability to, to shift with market? Yeah. So you know, I have, you know, that's the hard part is you're a founder. And I can remember three years ago, you know, we're growing, blowing and going, things are going great. We thought, right. Revenue is increasing and all of a sudden revenue stopped increasing and it kind of, kind of went sideways, even a little bit down. And we're like, well, what's going on? And you start looking at your organization and you start realizing, man, not everyone understands why we're doing this. Not everyone understands what the goal is here. There's miscommunication going on. I had a horrendous situation going on in my HR department. We were just trying to find bodies to, to fill jobs. And when you do that, you end up with cultures you don't like that are detrimental to your organization. So mm. all of a sudden, there's, there's a lot of things that are undermining your company that the outside world's not seeing. And you really got to take a look at it. And again, it, it, you know, I'm never one to like point fingers and blame people. I actually look at myself first. And I was like, you know what? I'm the reason this is the situation. 
I'm the one that said screw it to everything but sales and marketing. And that's why we don't have a strong HR department. That's why we don't have a strong accounting department because I, I, I don't like dealing with those things. I don't want to deal with them. And you got to really put the finger on yourself more than anything else. And once you do that, you can start making the right decisions to, to go impact those things. So yeah, so we, we hired a very, very great person uh, to take up our HR. He came out of Amazon. He came out of Kia Motors, uh, Advance America. So he's, he's been in these bigger organizations. Um, and I, I can tell you, like week one, he caught our previous HR person embezzling money in the company. And, and that, you know, and that was just like the, the tip of the iceberg from what you start to uncover when you start peeling the onion back and looking at things. Um, and again, you know, I, I looked at that situation and I, I was mad at myself for a couple seconds and I'm like, okay, we're, we're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. And we're going to make sure we have the right things in place and mm-hmm. the right systems. And people need to understand what we stand for here, but it, it, it's, it's not, it, it's really hard as your organization gets bigger. My mentality is like, take care of the customer, no matter what you get a new employee that's been here for a week. He just knows the guidelines or she knows the guidelines and the box we put them in and doesn't understand like, yeah, we want you to go a little bit deeper than that. And it, it's a really hard thing to get across as you scale. And I think we, we try hard like every other organization does, or I hope every other organization does, but take care of your customers. There's only so many of them in our business. We have to treat them all like they're gold. We don't want to, we have a bad reputation. We're going to be in trouble here very quickly. We got to have an upstanding reputation when it comes to customers and service. Absolutely. So I want to, I'm going to go back to what you just said, because I think it is, it's absolutely essential. And, and I'm going to put it in my own words so you can, you can correct me if I've misspoken this, but you were at a place where you said, hey, sales and, mar- sales and marketing is really where we need to focus on. I don't want to deal with HR. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in the accounting stuff. And so you handed it off to somebody, right? And you let it kind of go. And then you just put your focus on the sales and marketing because you believe that was where you needed to be. And that was also a comfort zone for you. Now, for our listeners, really pay attention to this because you all have a comfort zone. We all have a comfort zone and we have an area that we do not want to pay attention to. And when we don't pay attention and we don't have the right people in that space to fill, to augment our weakness, not so great things can happen there. And that's that's kind of one of the the things I I wanted to just kind of highlight on. And because you mentioned you had somebody that was just filling in bodies in HR, right? And they turned out to be embezzling from the company. And so they obviously were not the right person. They didn't have the right lens, the right focus or the right ethics. And some of that happened on your watch because that was an area you didn't want to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And even more so if I look at that HR role, I mean, we were hiring a bunch of 20-year-old kids out of college. I guess I can call them kids now in my 40s, right? So, you know, we're hiring these, but, you know, all of a sudden there's no adult supervision anywhere and it's a locker room talk situation and bad things happened and some employees got terminated because of what they were saying. It just, it just got out of control. And those are not, those are not things I want happening in my organization. So you, you have to, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and those things happen. It all rolls up at the end of the day, people can put whatever they want on the wall about their, their company, you know, what's important to them but it really starts at the, the leadership level and how people act and how they treat people and how they, how they do things. And you want that hopefully to flow down through organization. It's a, it's a really tough thing to do. Um, and I, I can tell you there's been all other kinds of situations. Like we, we didn't really care about it security and lo and behold, some you know Russian hacker got into our Amazon seller account and siphoned 40 grand out of there. Um, and again, it was, well, we didn't have two factor authentication and we didn't have the right credentials set up. We were sharing logins 
all the things I knew not to do and everyone knows not to do, but you do them anyway in the heat of the moment and, and they come back to bite you. Um, so yeah, you, you got to put the right people in place. And that's, that was one of my big things was, man, I, I can't go hire these seasoned executives and these six figure salaries and big bonus plans. We can't afford it. And I had to get out of my own way and say, look, I'm going to pay you guys more than I'm paying myself. Let's bring some talent in here. And it's been like a night and day difference bringing the people in that know what it should be. We get everyone on the same page. And all of a sudden I have a bunch of, I don't want to call them mini me's. They all, they all know their area really well, but we're all rolling the boat in the same direction now. And you got a lot of great leaders and talent inside the company. And now we're growing faster than we ever have. And I, it took me a long time to, to let go. I think any founder listening to this story will probably have a similar, similar feeling. It's tough to let go of your baby, but sometimes you got to let it grow up and let them go do their things. And they're going to do things differently. And that's okay. As long as the end results are, are getting you where you need to be. That is fantastic. And, and again, it's not that you have to have, you know, each of these disciplines needs to be addressed. Uh, sales and marketing, HR, legal, IT, all of that. You, you have your, obviously your product, your customer service. They all have to be taken care of. And what I typically see is an executive, a CEO has a particular favorite, right? And... We, what I'm hearing you say, Tyler, is you acknowledge that you got out of your way and you augmented that space that's not so strong for you with hot, with good talent, yeah. right? Not just somebody to fill the seat, but somebody that knows what they're doing. And, and I think you, you're, you're seeing the benefits from that. So I want to talk next, if we could pivot, other than the staffing, other than what you've done with staffing, how have you enabled your organization? to be able to, to grow and to pivot with needs in the market? Yeah, so that's always a challenge, right? How do you grow and how do you pivot? And I can say this, it was super easy for me when I was the only employee because I did every sales call, every tech call, I built the laptops, like I, I knew everything going on. And as the organizations got bigger, it, it's a lot difficult now. So I remember walking down the hallway about two years ago and being like, man, who are these people? Are they employees? Are they spouses? Are they vendors? Like, I didn't even know anymore because they were, they were coming in so fast. And I really was like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't like this. I need to know who works here and who doesn't. Right. So every new employee comes in and sits with me for 30 minutes. And it's like, tell me about yourself. Did you grow up here? What's your family life? Like what, what's your life goals? Why, why this job? And I explained some of those things to the employees as well. Um, so as you're, as, especially as it gets bigger, it, it gets really hard to adapt and change. And now I rely on the, the one speech I give every employee when they sit in is the exact thing I just told you. I'm like, please tell me what's going on with your customers. If you have repetitive issues, if you're hearing the same questions, it means we need to go make an answer and solve that problem. And I'll walk them through some examples. And we're really open. It's really easy for our employees to submit ideas and requests and features and ideas to us. We pull our customers all the time with net promote. We do net promoter scores, we do surveys. I was just on a four-day trip up to Michigan with some of my senior VPs talking to bigger clients. And you constantly have to be asking them, what are we doing? What are we not doing? What do we suck at? What are we great at? And they'll tell you, you just got to ask them. You got to be listening and not take it as a ego deflating thing and just, you know, understand that's what they're telling you. Um, so I'm, I'm still all ears. I hang out on Facebook group forums. I'm on LinkedIn. Like I'm well connected with what goes on in our industry, even at the CEO level. Um, because I need to know, and I can't make the right decisions if I don't know what's going on in the organization. So it just, it's tougher as you move up, but it's still possible to do. 
Yeah, so I'm really impressed with that. Um, you staying informed uh, just at the industry level is is key, but also with your employees and the fact that you sit with them, every new employee, and you you, you give them permission to to connect with you when they see a pattern. Um, yeah, that's that's super impressive that you're able to do that because as you continue to grow, and this is actually one of the questions is how have you adapted to staying in touch with your customers as you continue to grow? And, and you've, you've really answered that. Uh, and it looks like it'll be sustainable for a while. I, I would imagine that would be sustainable for some time. So let me ask you any interesting stories you'd like to share. Um, there's one person, uh, there's one story you shared and maybe you want to tell this one or something similar because one of the things that we really like to emphasize when we work with our clients is, is investing in people and, and really giving people an opportunity to, to kind of demonstrate their value. And I remember doing some research on your organization. I came across a story about Jason Connor and how you plucked him out of a competitor and, and he's been a real rock star for you guys. Yeah. Want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll do Jason's story and I'll, I'll do another one too. So Jason, he was working at a competitor in the warehouse right? So he's just packing and shipping stuff. They actually fire him. And he hits us up and says, Hey, I'd love to come work for you guys. You know, I know a little bit of the industry when I was at that company, they never gave me a chance. I, I wanted to work in sales. They kept saying I couldn't do it. And I, I wasn't able. And I'm like, you know what, I need help in sales. You at least know something about this industry. Come on, come on in. And now Jason's selling over a million dollars a year for us. And he's one of our best salespeople that we have here. And the guy's killing it. I mean, he's um, you know, the post, the picture I put on LinkedIn, he had the, you know, the brand new camper that he had just bought and everything. And the, the guy's an all-star for us. So um, I, I can tell you some other examples too. Like, for example, the very first person I hired um, was this 18 year old kid that dropped out of high school and he ended up finishing up getting his GED on his own and, and doing those things. And he was, he was making sandwiches and pizzas. Um, and I need someone just to help pack uh, in, in my garage because I couldn't do that anymore. So uh, his mom lived in our neighborhood. That's how we got connected with them. And he started showing up for work. And I still give him a hard time because he, he was only eight houses down, but he never showed up on time for the first three months. But he, he finally got that part figured out. Um, but he's, he's just doing packaging, warehousing, shipping, running back and forth to UPS. And he's doing this for a couple of months. And one day he sits down and he's like, hey, man, I'd like to I'll take some of your sales calls. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you know about sales? He's like, well, I've been hearing you for the last couple of months. I think I can do it. I'm like, all right, here you go. Like take the next, take, take the next couple of calls here. And lo and behold, he was saying the exact same things I was saying to customers, like right off the bat, he knew exactly what to say. And, you know, he closed the deal that day, a big deal. And I was like, wow, like this, this, this kid knows something. Right. So I can tell you today, Riley is his name. He's progressed up in our company. He's our director of operations. He's, he's like the right-hand man over here. <laughs> You know, at the age of 24, 25, he knows more about what goes on in the day-to-day -day than I do at this point. Um, yeah. He's like the go-to guy for a lot of departments that, that need to interface with production, warehouse, shipping, all those things. Um, and I, I keep telling him, like, Riley, you're, you're on your path to being a millionaire here probably before you're 30. And I hope I can keep you around because I, I just I see the path you're on. Um, and he, he's figuring it out. He's figuring out the difference between being a manager and a leader. He's doing all the leadership training classes that we have here. He takes every training he can. He's become black belt certified and Six Sigma and all these things. So he, he, he is like a sponge absorbing things quicker than we can throw them at him. And that's the exact people you want. And he came out of a pizza parlor. <laughs> and, but that's, that's where everyone starts. I mean, people look at me like, wow, Tyler, you know, you do these things. The business is so great. You're successful. 
I was a service manager seven years ago, helping people fix trucks at a truck shop. So talent's all around you. It's just giving people the opportunity and you got to find those people that have the uh, willingness to learn and the ambition to go learn. And those people are sometimes hard to find, but I, I promise you they are, they're out there everywhere. And I could probably give a half dozen more stories about people in our company in similar fashions. So it's, it's really remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> I love that story. Um, sounds very similar to my story actually a little bit, but I wanted to talk, I wanted to talk about your team and how you guys have navigated the lockdown and the return to work. Have you guys been a hundred percent in person? Have you managed a hybrid workforce now? Maybe you can talk. I know our listeners are, you know, a lot of folks right now are really trying to figure out how they want to, um, what they want to do with their company. And, and, and some of it is going to be based on what they do, their business. Um, in other cases, it may be based on culture. I'm kind of curious how you, how you guys have handled the kind of the, the post COVID era. Yeah. So, I mean, just even during COVID, I think we handled it great. We hired a school teacher and let our kids bring our parents, bring their kids in for free. We did weekly testing. We, we had a reduction expense reduction committee. Like we did all the right things leading up to it. And, and post this, I will say, some departments um, are never coming back. They, they operate, I think, better than when they were here. Um, so for example, I have a manager who has 30 employees underneath them. He sold his house. His, his wife became a traveling nurse and they travel city to city every 12 weeks. And we don't care. He does a great job managing his team and his people. And he doesn't need to be here. Um, I had other departments and they were, they were usually either really new employees with us or they were first professional job employees. Those ones did not do so well work from home. Um, mm. it, it's just, you know, there's a little bit of uh, self-governing you need to do when you're at home and commun- you have to over-communicate almost when you work at home and, and that type of thing. Um, so some of them we had to say, hey, you're, you're coming back, unfortunately. Um, well, unfortunately for you, but you need to, you need to come back. Uh, and, you know, there's some that are hybrid. Some employees have said, hey, can I work in the office two days a week and not three days a week? Uh, even Charlie, who we mentioned, our, our senior VP of HR, he's only here, I think, two or three days and he shares his office with one of his direct reports. Um, so we're able to save on office space and, and do those types of things, too. So it all really comes down to us to an individual level and their, and their function inside the company. Um, and they understand there's probably a little more travel. So most of our senior vice presidents, um, actually, they're, you know, I got, I got five of them, I guess I call them that level. Only, only one works here in the office, and that's Charlie. He's only here half time. Otherwise, I'm here every day. The rest are all remote anyway. So, you know, we, we've learned to, to adapt and change to it. Um, our salespeople, even pre-COVID, we never visited customers. We, we do all this internet marketing remotely. This has been our jam since my house. Um, so we didn't have to really pivot on the sales end over there at all. Mm. Um, but new employees, yeah, they'll come in here. They'll spend some time. We actually have a, we call it Diesel Laptop Academy downstairs because nobody understands anything about diagnostics or trucks when they come to work here. So we put them through a 30 day camp to learn all these things. Um, so there's a lot of that type of thing going on. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's going to be there for a while. Um, I can tell you there, there's also been a negative impact on it. And that's been, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks and the apples, of the world hiring developers for three times market rate in our market, uh, because that's normal rate in California, but not, not South Carolina. Um, so there's, there's that struggle that's going on as well. And I, my, my big fear with the whole thing is once the economy stops booming and growing like it is and companies have to clamp down, I, I think a lot of them will look at it and say, um, especially the bigger ones, 
why are we outsourcing people in the US? Let's outsource them in these other countries or these other things. And, you know, I, I think there's gonna be some pressure put back on the work from home movement, you know, down the line when things tighten up. But that's kind of, you know, speculation on my part more than anything else. Yeah, no, that's an interesting insight to consider, um, you know, what's going to happen, right? Because we now have a, access to a global workforce. And so for some companies, access to global talent means I can find talent wherever I can find talent at the least possible rate, I have an advantage. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting insight to have. Um, Tyler, I want to, before we wrap up, I want to kind of give you a, a moment to, is there any insights that you'd want to share with our listeners about executive leadership uh, in a fast growing company in your industry? Yeah. I mean, the, the one big thing is just not working um, in the business, working on the business, right? So I think a lot of people get caught up in just making sure things get through the pipeline and the day-to-day stuff gets done. And that's really one of been the biggest impacts when I look back the last three years of all the things we've done is let's not worry about today. Let's worry about three years from now, five years from now. Because once we figure that out, we can put a plan together to get there. And before we were just kind of bobbing and weaving and zigging and zagging and you end up with a lot of you know, technical debt, a lot of things that don't work, a lot of things not thought out well, and a lot of wasted time and money, essentially. So it's really helped us get focused on growing the company. And I, I always look at it with the analogy like this. You know, you got, you got one guy that owns a pizza shop. He only owns one for the rest of his life and does a pretty good job at it. Then you got the next guy that breaks into 2,000 chains across the country. They both make the same pizza. Like, what's really different there? And it's really the mindset and how one person's choosing to go do something versus the other one's just kind of working on the business and, and trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's our big thing is let's not work in the day-to-day. Let's worry about next year. I mean, I can tell you we're sitting here in March. Conversations I had with my SVP of sales was like, I'm trying to figure out how to make sure we have a great fourth quarter kicking us into 2023. And we're, we're out that far ahead, just trying to plan for things. And that's a, that's a different mindset, but it's a huge advantage if you can get to that point. I really like that. So being future oriented, keeping your head up, it's the role of an executive is really to look up and look out and to help move people to where you want them to go. Um, I, I think that's a, a great point to end on. Hey, Tyler, I really want to thank you for joining us here. Um, how, if people want to find out more about diesel laptops, more about you, where can they go and find, find you? So I've been, I had no one to talk to when I first started doing this thing seven years ago and LinkedIn was my outlet. So I've been posting on there a couple of times a week for the last seven years uh, on our journey. And I, I still continue to do so. So love to connect with people on there. Just search for Tyler Robertson or even Tyler Diesel, I think shows up on there. Um, and otherwise, if you're interested in our space at all, diesellaptops.com, there's a whole learn section on there. You can learn everything you'd ever care to know about the commercial truck repair market, uh, as, as specialized our industry is. But I can tell everyone listening to this, it's a it's a big part of the world. Everything you buy, wear, or eat, or drive came on a diesel-powered piece of equipment. So it's it's going to be around for a long time. Fantastic. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Pleasure, man. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.